Hi, I'm Will McHenry, the program associate at Ponars Eurasia. And with us today is George Gavarillis, an independent consultant specializing in international relations, foreign policy, higher education, and oral history. He is the author of The Dynamics of Interstate Boundaries, published by the Cambridge University Press in 2008. Thank you so much for joining us, George. So you are a political science scientist by training who focus on the Middle East. Middle East. So what brought you to study Central Asia? Yeah, that, that's right. So when I was working on my dissertation uh, at Columbia University, I was doing a lot of research on the Middle East, but not just the Middle East, also the Ottoman Empire. And, and that's where a lot of my work was going because I was combining history with political science to study borders. Uh, and and my interest in borders wasn't so much where they lie, who should have what territory. It was much more, how do you police borders? Why do we know so little about borders historically or borders in poorer countries? And so that's the question that fascinated me. And I thought that the best way to learn about that would be to look at uh, a new border. And I had the opportunity, partly because of my language training and background, to look at new Ottoman imperial borders that were formed by, by the nature of the Ottoman Empire retrenching and losing territory. So I, I spent some time in Turkey, Greece, and, uh, and here in London, where we are today, doing archival research to basically recreate this old 19th century Ottoman border between the Ottoman Empire and the new kingdom of Greece, a border which no longer exists. But I recreated that border from documents to understand how it was policed. And it was, a, it was largely a study of, of local institutions, how states that have very few resources and very little control, how they get locals to police the border for them so that they get good security results, but do it at relatively little cost with little escalation. And but that was all Middle East, no Central Asia up until this point in my life. And once I had finished my PhD, uh, I had written a chapter of some case studies, some modern case studies, but I realized that actually one of the best places to study this would be in 21st century new states that had all new borders. And so Central Asia struck me as the perfect laboratory. It's a horrible way to refer to a region as a laboratory, but that's exactly what it was. You had five new states, independent at the same time, all new borders, they had to come up with border policy for the first time by themselves and not just copy and paste Soviet border policy. And so I wanted to see what would these five states do? Would they adopt similar border policies? How much would they rely on local institutions? How much would they handle centrally? And so on. And so that's what brought me to Central Asia in the summer of 2006. And I spent several months there. Where did you do your field research in Central Asia? So I, I went to, um, to Kyrgyzstan, first Kyrgyzstan, for a couple months, and then Uzbekistan for a month. And within Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan, I traveled to to several border regions. So when you add it up, it was about half a dozen border regions. Um, everything from the very far north eastern border of Kyrgyzstan that pushes up against Kazakhstan to the Uzbek-Turkmen border in the Hiva urdenj area. So um, it was a really interesting time to be there because this was after Andijan, 
and miraculously I got a visa to Uzbekistan. I think what helped me is that I was an unknown quantity to the customs officials and, <laughs> and to the people giving the visas. They didn't know who I was. I had no track record. I didn't speak Russian, uh, but I knew Turkish and Ottoman Turkish and I had learned to read Uzbek from Turkish and Ottoman Turkish. Um, so that was very useful. And I would never call myself an expert on Central Asia, but I was just kind of ruthlessly mining the area for research for my project. And, and what I should say though about, about that, that I was looking at the area as a laboratory, there's different ways to do this. One way is to just parachute in and parachute out. And another way is to really know the subject that you're researching and to stay long enough that you become embedded and it becomes meaningful and you're not just tearing in, grabbing some things and then leaving. And uh, so I felt like the, the months I spent there were very useful. And I'll have to say that back in 2006, Kyrgyzstan uh, and Uzbekistan, but especially Kyrgyzstan, was remarkably open in terms of doing research. I remember um, I went with, a, with an, a research assistant. We would knock on the doors of customs officials' offices and military bases, and they would let us in and give us spontaneous interviews. And we're talking like high-level people. Um, and because they had never been used to anyone asking them questions about borders, the kind that I was asking, not about the location, but rather about how do you police them? When you, you know, what kinds of things do you look for? How much do you rely on local intelligence? Uh, people were very forthcoming. Sometimes they were curious and, and they would say, why do you even want to know this? This isn't interesting. It was fascinating, even mm -hmm. though they said it wasn't. It was, it was, what I did back then, I could not do now uh, because people have become so much more buttoned up, so much more formal and so much more guarded, which is great because I was able to basically study these new borders of these new republics, of what were then still new republics, and, um, and really learn a lot from it. What can Central Asian borders teach us about today's hot-button policy issues? Well, so, uh, so I put a lot of my findings in, in a few different publications. The first one was my book which had the unfortunate title that I alone am responsible for, called The Dynamics of Interstate Boundaries. Funny story about that, I actually wanted to call it, I, I used Dynamics of Interstate Boundaries as a placeholder with the publisher, uh, not realizing that there's really no such thing as a placeholder with the publisher, that once you give them a title and they, and they, and they start putting it in the system, that there's no pulling it out. I wanted to call it State Builders and Border Guards, which I thought would have been a punchier title and really true to the theory that it was, um, that, that it was a study of, first of all, how do new states come up with border control policy? What do they take into consideration and what doesn't matter? And then what works at the local level in terms of getting good results? And the, the lessons that I show in the book, but also some of the things that I published after that were that first, you know, don't cookie cut your borders, your national borders, that different segments of the border have different needs and you might need to come up with different local institutions to deal with those. And the second thing is that you have to listen to local populations. This became particularly important later when I was doing reviews, 
policy reviews of border management programs in Central Asia that had been going on for 20 years. Wonderful programs, really smart, that were a combination of training border guards and also giving them technology. The one thing they weren't doing though was listening to local populations and what they needed from the border. And had they done that, they would have been much further ahead than, than they are today. And, and the last lesson, I guess, is to, is to not just study the troubled spots and the flashpoints on borders, but to study the untroubled spots. They're untroubled for a, region, for, for a reason. They're not untroubled because there's nothing that can potentially cause trouble, but they're usually untroubled because local populations, often in concert with local officials, have found a way to keep conflict from escalating too much. And both policymakers and the very officials of the states that we're talking about in Central Asia would have and can still benefit from having known about that. That's, uh, and that's kind of the long story of my main, main area of research. George, uh, fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us for this Ponars podcast. Thank you, Will.